In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Here reading this morning from Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old and from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. And this is the word of the Lord. Our scripture readings this morning, along with our, our reading of Luke chapter 1, they tell us something about the character of God and about his breaking into the world. O Bethlehem Ephrata, though you're least among the clans of the tribes of Judah, from you shall come to me a ruler. And Mary sings, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, he's scattered the proud. He's exalted the one of low degree. You see, God has a tendency to turn things upside down. And why would we expect it to be any different when he brings his kingdom into the world? God is full of surprises. In the season of Advent leading into Christmas, it's no exception. God intervenes in the world, and he does so in the most unlikely and the most unexpected places. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And while I might be pressing T.S. Eliot's poem a bit, it is certainly the case that the end of days has come upon us, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Not with the blaring of trumpets, but with the rustling of animals. Not in the splendor of the palace, but in the lowliness of a stable. Not with the daughter of a king, but with the humble maidservant Mary. Where again are you from, Mary? Nazareth, but my kinfolk hail from Bethlehem. Hmm, is that right? Not with a bang, but with a whimper. Humanity has an intractable problem. We're proud. We're self-reliant. We're self-sufficient. We see it in our public discourse, don't we, and what we might value in our politics, in our business practices, maybe. More machissimo, please. More muscles, please. But those are the easy targets in our public square, aren't they? I know the several species of pride that fester in my own heart, manifesting itself most often when I get angry, when I lose control over the control I never really had and it slips away from me. And you all know it's true, I do too. We would take the fruit in the garden and we would eat it every time, wanting to be like God, yearning for the power of knowledge, yearning for self-sufficiency. And as frustrating as the Adam and Eve story is to read, the scripture tells us that when you look closely at that story, Adam and Eve look uncannily like yourself. When I read the Adam and Eve story and I see Adam, he looks a lot like me. Poor devil. We'd eat the fruit every time. I would. Because we're riddled with pride. Let me be clear with you all this morning. Cockiness, 
self-referencing, the kind of noxious social interaction where we drop names or identify our kids as in the most gifted program at We're Better Than You Elementary School. Uh, we, can, we can spot this stuff a mile away, and few of us like it, even though we'd eat that fruit too if we could. But we can be habituated out of those practices with good manners, right? I'm not talking about being a braggart this morning. I'm not talking about the me monsters at the Christmas social gatherings. I'm talking about our general disposition to live in self-reliance, trusting in the creature more than the creator. I'm talking about our tendency, my tendency, to treat God as the God of the gaps, who comes in to get us out of a pinch or helps us find a parking spot at Macy's the day after Thanksgiving. I'm talking about the anger in our hearts, in my hearts, when the control that, again, we never really had gets away from us and the curtain gets pulled back in our self-sufficiency and our self-affirmation and our autonomy. They're all challenged and then they're removed because the very character of unbelief is pride. And there are times when the knowledge of my own pride is so acute that I yearn for an escape from my own self. But like you, I just can't get away. I seem to take myself everywhere I go. And Micah 5, 2 and Mary's Magnificat and Luke 1 are telling us, they're telling me, they're telling you something this morning. They're shouting at us on this fourth Sunday of Advent. They herald a central truth of our gospel confession. The pride of humanity is obliterated by the humility of God. That bears repeating, I think. The pride of humanity is obliterated by the humility of God. God puts an end to self-reliance or self-affirmation by an act of his own humility and self-giving, not with a bang, but with a whimper. And it's just like God to act this way. The promise of Micah 5.2, the, the text we read a few moments ago, and it's a text that we associate with this season, and rightly so. It's born on the anvils of a crisis in Judah's historical existence. And it's a crisis, by the way, that's not located to one particular moment in time. It's the crisis that can be identified as, we have no king, or we don't have the right kind of king who would lead us in righteousness who would lead us in the power of the Lord himself, who um, would walk in humility. We don't have a king who's taking on his shoulders the care and concern and, and the oversight of our physical and our spiritual well-being. And all of this lack of divinely shaped leadership has led God's people to one cataclysmic event after another, destitute, despondent, and in a word, kingless. And Micah 5.2 is an answer to that particular problem with God's covenant people. I won't leave you without a king. I made a promise to David that I would never leave his throne empty, that his progeny would be forever. But there's something surprising about our Micah reading this morning. This king comes from Bethlehem and not Jerusalem. The Davidic line of kings since David's enthronement way back in the 10th century all came from Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the center of the political and, and religious life of Israel. In some sense, the Bible presents Jerusalem like it's the center of the entire world. I think two points can be derived from this very crucial insight into our text. 
Number one, the new promised king will come from David's line, but at the same time his coming from Bethlehem signals something new, something discontinuous with the then normal course of events where a king gives birth to a king who then gives birth to a king all in succession on his royal throne. This promised king in Micah goes all the way back to square one and in some sense is probably better understood as a new David rather than the offspring of David like Hezekiah or Zerubbabel. The promise is new. It's a restart. It causes us to grow in a sense of Advent anticipation that the coming king will be a fresh start, that old cycles will be broken, and a new order will come along with this. And finally, we'll get the Davidic king that we really need, the one that our text tells us about. He shepherds the flock of the Lord. He leads in the power of Jehovah himself. And he's going to bring peace and security, the peace and security we so desperately need. God's going to give us a king, a prince of peace. He's going to hit the restart button with a new David. The second thing I think we learn from this location in Bethlehem is that God's kingdom comes in an unexpected and unlikely place. Bethlehem. And again, it's just like God to do this. He's demonstrating his power. He's demonstrating his wisdom in an act of humility. The promised king doesn't come from Jerusalem, the center of their life. He comes from Bethlehem. So he doesn't come from New York or Boston or Atlanta or D.C. He comes from, well, Jasper or Pell City. My wife and I were with a friend on Thursday. Uh, we had a, an appointment in in Talladega, and I'm a little embarrassed about this, but I trust my GPS. That's unwise. And we had that very awful moment where you're meant to be in an appointment, and your GPS says, you have arrived at your destination, and you look up, and there are trees. That's a bad moment. <laughs> we, we had landed somehow in the middle of Goodwater, Alabama. Have you ever heard of Goodwater, Alabama? Uh, I, I hadn't. But the, the town sign, it owned me when I read it. We howled in the car. This is what it said, good water. It's a good place to live. And I liked that. The town didn't oversell itself. It had, had a modest self-appraisal, right? Good water, not a great place to live. Not really a bad place to live, just a, a good place to live. That was Bethlehem. A nice place to live. And here's the Bible's pattern emerging for us. Moses said, I'm not able to speak. Gideon said, I'm the weakest in Manasseh. King Saul said, I'm just a Benjaminite. David was the last and the least of this very impressive brood of boys that Jesse had. Amos said, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. Jeremiah said, I'm just a boy. And so too, here comes the promised king from a modest place, from humble beginnings. Mary, an unwed mother, sings praise to God for making use of a nobody for the sake of redeeming her people in the world. Martin Luther said that Mary's greatness came in her pointing away from herself to the grace and kindness of her God. Can anything really good come out of Nazareth? Are kings who are born really found in feed troughs? Can the Messiah really have no place to lay his head? 
Does the Prince of Peace really hang naked on a cross? The King of the Jews, really? And God says, yes. And if you're going to come to me, you're going to have to come the same way that he came, in poverty and in humility. So you see the pattern of scripture emerging this morning. You see the ways of our God in the world. God flexes the muscles of his saving power by an act of self-giving and humility. God stares into the face of your pride and my pride, humanity's pride, and he renders it inoperative by his own humility. God takes the pride of our hearts, our clamoring for control and power and self-affirmation, and he neutralizes this most basic mode of our sinful existence. And how does he do it? By coming into the world in an act of humility. A small town in an unwed and unknown mother's birth canal. And the Bible says, behold your God. Michael also tells us that the origin of this coming king, humble as it is, also proceeds from eternity. And the very triune life of God himself, he's from of old, he's from eternity. It's astounding and it's offensive. Just the way the gospel likes it. I find myself growing more sentimental as I age. Maybe sentimental is not the right word. I should say I'm less hallmarky than ever. Um, but I get my heartstrings tugged and pulled a little bit more, maybe a tear shed here or there too. When I was dating my wife way back in the day, she had a magazine advertisement that was posted to her bedroom door that said, all women want a man who can cry, just not more than we do. <laughs> so I have to be careful here on the home front. But there's a Christmas song. Uh, it's as sentimental and it's as saccharine as they come. But it gets me every time. I bet some of you can maybe guess it gets you too. The drummer boy. I sang this song in college choir back in the day, and, and I mean, come on, the, some of the lyrics are prum, prum, pa pum pum right? <laughs> for a, a song whose major bass part is prumming all the way through, but forget all that. It, it gets me. It owns me. It moves me. Why? Well, because the king is announced. He's here. The promise has come, and, and we're all bringing our best gifts. We want to honor this new king. But there's a surprise, and the little drummer boy, he gets it. The king's a little baby, and, and he's poor. He's from Bethlehem. And here's the lyric that touches me so deeply. Little baby, pa-rumpa-pum-pum. I am a poor boy, too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king. The drummer boy comes in humility to the king himself who's marked by humility. And that's exactly why the drummer and the shepherds all belong with Mary and Joseph and the baby who happens to be the king of the universe. You're an accomplished group of people here at this church. I try not to act too impressed. I don't want to look like I'm from the backwaters. But I'm impressed. I'm amazed at the gifts 
that are represented in this place in commerce and law, education, civil service, medicine, and, and the list just goes on. But if this Advent and Christmas season, you want to see God in a manger, if you want a presence in his court at the feet of the one who's your king who stepped into time, then you'll have to come to him just like he came to you in poverty, in humility, and an acknowledgement that you have no gift to bring that's fit to give a king. Because we come to King Jesus like the drummer boy, or we don't get to come at all. Amen.